You're listening to Radically Pragmatic, a podcast from the Progressive Policy Institute. We talk with lawmakers, policy experts, and thought leaders about the issues driving the news nationally and internationally. The Progressive Policy Institute is a catalyst for policy innovation and political reform with offices in Washington, D.C. and Brussels. Its mission is to create radically pragmatic ideas for moving America beyond ideological and partisan deadlock. We encourage analytical conversations, not your typical partisan talking points. Welcome to the Radically Pragmatic Podcast, and thanks for listening. I'm Tressa Pankiewicz, co-director of the Reinventing America Schools Project at the Progressive Policy Institute. You know, the Reinventing America Schools Project has historically occupied kind of a sleepy silo at PPI, somewhat removed from the policy discussions that normally make headlines in Washington, D.C. You know, the things like government shutdowns, inflation, Supreme Court decisions, war, peace, the big stories. But now K through 12 education is making headlines everywhere in this country and very often not really for the right reasons. Republicans are waging culture wars over critical race theory and what kind of content is even appropriate in schools. Meanwhile, test scores have plummeted in the wake of the pandemic school closures and there are some who want to eliminate testing overall. We've got severe teacher shortages and the teachers we do have aren't necessarily happy on the job. There's been at least 27 teacher and school employee strikes since 2018 with six major strikes last year alone. Many parents aren't happy either. So a bunch of states have passed universal voucher programs to help them pull their children out of public school systems altogether. It's truly a watershed moment for public education in America right now. And there's a sense that this upheaval is going to remain center stage as we get deeper into the 2024 election cycle. So here to unpack all of that for us, or help us unpack some of all of that, is Jorge Alorza, the CEO of Democrats for Education Reform. He formerly served two terms as mayor of Providence, Rhode Island, and he is now leading the organization that encourages Democrats to find their way on education. Jorge, welcome to the podcast. It's great to be on here, Tressa. Thank you for having me. Delighted to have you and anxious to get right into this topic. So tell us what DEFER does and what is central to your mission. Right. So DEFER lives at the intersection of policy and politics. So we have a a policy team that um, produces our own research. So, you know, we operate in the knowledge creation, thought leadership space. And we also do politics. We do politics from soup to nuts. And so uh, we do a lot of polling. We do a lot of work directly with elected officials. We advocate directly at state houses and uh, make sure that, you know, we are um, doing all the things that are politically necessary to make sure that education is not only on the agenda, uh, but that Democrats are leading on this issue. So in terms of what we believe in, we're an ed reform organization. And basically, we believe in whatever works in education. So we believe in innovation, so we can figure out what works. We believe in accountability, so we're only investing in what works. And we believe in choice, so that people can decide for themselves what works. So that's what DEFER does. And I know that equity for students is central to your mission as well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, uh, equity is embedded in all of the work that we do. I mean, let's not forget that. So we we see our role as advocating for uh, communities that are often left out and left behind. 
And when you look at the landscape of um, uh, urban education throughout the country, we're talking about a, uh, a heavy majority of black and brown kids primarily uh, that, are, that are occupying these schools. And so what we try to do is uh, bring attention to the fact that there is a crisis in public education. And we also bring solutions to the table and we use various tools that are in our toolkit to make sure uh, we're uh, not only celebrating and supporting the elected officials who champion this work, uh, but we also do the, you know, we also do the political work where it's a, it's a carrot and a stick approach to this work. Mm-hmm. And to do it effectively, you have to you have to utilize both. Right, right. Well, you mentioned one of the the tools in your toolkit is polling, and I know that you've done some pretty major polls in the last several months. I think there was one in July 2023 over the summer, and one of the key findings was was that voters in key states favor Democrats on many major issues but not necessarily on education and schools. And that is sort of a historical break um, for Democrats who have pretty much in recent memory been the party that was most associated with public education and the most trusted on public education. Can you tell me a little bit about that poll and explain for our audience why it's significant? Yeah, that, that's so true, Tressa. And, uh, you know, so stepping back, you know, I, I think that, um, uh, one of the challenges that the ed reform movement has had in the political space is that um, it's been it's been hard to convince elected officials to be out in front championing these uh, these issues, unless you upset a you know a, a powerful uh, special interest group, and uh, and so now given all the all the polling that we've done, you know we're now armed with uh, an argument that we can make to elected officials where we're not asking them to do the right thing simply because it's the right thing to do from a policy standpoint, but we're also advocating for for them to do the right thing because it's also the politically right thing to do. So 10 years ago, Democrats had a 26-point advantage over Republicans on uh, trust uh, from voters on education. Today, that advantage is completely gone. We are no longer the party of education and voters' minds. And this is true across the board, Republicans, independents, and, de- and Democrats. So that's a, that's a major concern, especially in a moment like today where uh, education is simply being prioritized more in voters' minds. And so you don't want to be on the downside of this, especially when you look at swing districts and you look at uh, battleground states where the margins in these elections are so tight and so close you can't afford any slippage. And so we're very concerned about that. Um, what we've seen over the past several years is that Republicans have done, frankly, a, um, a very good job in passing uh, education, uh, education uh, policies in various states, uh, which effectively amounts to, to, to private school choice. Um, so they've done pretty solid job, you have to say, in terms of uh, getting their their agenda enacted in state houses throughout the country. And what's so worrisome is that there hasn't been an alternative that Democrats have offered. And in many ways, as a party, we are still fighting the choice versus no choice debate. But what all of the polling is telling us is that, look, that debate has been had and that debate has been settled. Choice won for obvious reasons. Choice resonates with voters. And so our message to the party is, look, we can't afford to continue to slip on education. And uh, what 
uh, we should do is we should embrace choice as a party and offer it as an alternative to what's out there. And that would be public school choice. So we've pulled it that. Like, it sounds like there's a real opportunity for that because in the polling, weren't the vast majority of respondents more in favor of choice within the public education system over vouchers that would take money out of the public education system and take tax dollars into private schools? So that's the bright spot in all of this. And part of our message, you know, we've pulled those questions head to head, private school choice versus public school choice. And what we're finding is that public school choice resonates far more deeply, something like 68 to 32 percent, you know, plus uh, plus 30 points. And, uh, um, you know, as a party, we have an opportunity here. We can once again become the party of education. And not only from a policy standpoint, will that be helpful, but um, as voters prioritize education more in their minds, it can also help us win tight elections. Right. And of course, that's important for our audience. But, you know, this is a really broad podcast, Radically Pragmatic, covers a lot of different topics, all policy areas that uh, PPI is active in. So for, for the audience who might not really understand the distinction between public school choice and private school choice, could you kind of break that down for them? Sure. So private school choice is generally thought of as vouchers. Um, throughout the country, there's been, you know, also an effort in recent years to reformulate vouchers, and they're also referred to as education savings accounts, so ESAs. But essentially what they do is uh, they uh, give a voucher. Uh, every, every parent has the opportunity to use a voucher, and they can use that voucher anywhere, including taking, uh, taking those resources to a private school. Um, on, the, on the flip side, there's public school choice. And this is part of an, a, um, an, an initiative and a campaign that uh, uh, my organization, Defer, is spearheading, where uh, we're putting out a broad menu of public school choice options. And so charters are certainly part of it. But frankly, neighborhood, traditional neighborhood schools are also part of the options that folks should have. But it extends far beyond that. We're looking at interdistrict choice. We're looking at magnet schools, career academies, dual enrollment, different approaches like Montessori public schools. The point is that families should have high quality choices and options. Um, you know, just as wealthy families have these choices and exercise these choices, low income families should have it as well. Thank you. I, I think that's probably really helpful for people listening in to to hear the distinction between those two, um, two types of choice. And, you know, if you think about it, you get an $8,000 voucher, let's say, um, to take your child to any school anywhere, that's probably not going to cover the cost of an elite private school anyway. Um, so again, it, it's questionable as to whether this would increase equitable options for um, students, especially as you mentioned, the lower income black and brown students that are found in so many urban areas in this country. And, you know, it's also bears pointing out that if tax dollars are funneled into private institutions, private education institutions, in many cases, because those institutions are private, 
they are not bound by the Constitution and they can discriminate against students for a variety of reasons. Um, and that is certainly something that we do not want to encourage in any way, shape or form in, in this country. So I commend you for keeping your eye on the ball on that and working really hard to uh, strengthen the public school choice conversation and um, trying to bring politicians along. And with regard to that, um, thinking of 2024, we're, we're already in this election cycle. Is there a chance for Democrats to reform their reputation amongst parents who have kind of turned away from us as the party of education and, and equitable education options? You know, no one can predict the future, um, but I will say that it is a tall task and I don't believe it's something that is going to change right away. Uh, but it's a classic, you know, how do you eat an elephant, you know, one, you know, one bite at a time, you know, so I start with this, with this, uh, this, with this frame of mind, there is an absolute crisis in public education in our country. That's number one. Number two, we are not seeing the kind of urgency that's required from, uh, from this, uh, from this, uh, uh, from this crisis. Uh, by um, by policymakers and and elected officials across the board uh, that um, uh, that we would like to see, and so you know part of our message with putting out this broad menu of public choice options is saying there's a crisis we need to do something and here's a broad range of options do something, and our theory of change is that if we get more elected officials taking on you know one small chunk of it one small piece of it over time what you start seeing is that the best practices start to rise to the top once we start seeing not only the best ideas but the best ideas that are being enacted and then and then um, um, are are improving improving outcomes for kids we can accelerate the pace of replication of all of those best practices and best and best policies. And so, you know, rather than focus on simply, you know, one big idea, and this is what's going to fix public education, which I don't think one big idea exists, but rather than focusing in on just one thing, it's more in terms of our approach. Let's get elected officials on the Democratic side championing and leading on education and through the process of more of them engaging seriously on education policy, we can find the kind of solutions that will once again position Democrats as the party of education. Yeah, and that sounds great. And that's great information for our listeners because of course they will be uh, making choices at the ballot box in 2024 as well. But you mentioned previously highly well-funded special interests that are not on board with this. And um, I think we're speaking probably specifically of teachers unions uh, who do not want to see uh, non-unionized charter schools, non-unionized micro schools or pods. How do we convince Democrats um, that it is okay to listen to the voters as equally as they feel bound to listen to the teachers unions who fund so many of their campaigns? A few things come to mind. The first is that there, there are indeed a number of elected officials, democratic elected officials 
that are willing to lead on education and need to be convinced that something is the right policy. And uh, as they as they want to lead on this on these issues, my organization provides various forms of supports. Right, we have a full full toolkit so that they can be successful in what they do. And in some cases, elected officials will indeed be willing to take on powerful uh, special interests uh, because they believe that the policy that they're pursuing, that they're pursuing is the right thing to do. Uh, and so we need to reach out to all of those elected officials. We need to find them, create a national community where they know that they're not fighting this fight alone and uh, providing them the support so that they can be successful. That's one. The second piece is uh, that when we talk about choice, for many folks who have been fighting these fights for, for a long time, choice has become almost synonymous with charters. And uh, part of our pitch with our broad menu of public choice options is that choice goes far beyond charters. You know, we unapologetically support charter schools, um, or high-performing charter schools, um, uh, but choice is much broader than that. So take, for example, inter-district choice. You know, inter-district choice, uh, many states are, are, uh, are passing open enrollment laws that allow, uh, allow, uh, allow a family to send their child to any public school throughout the entire state, so long as there's room. And there are a lot of components to make sure that your open enrollment law is a robust one. Well, you know, the, the, the reason why open enrollment makes sense um, is, um, you know, can be couched in a way that really resonates with Democrats. So, for example, you know, we still lock people into school districts whose, whose boundaries were effectively shaped by discriminatory housing policies of the past. And why do we continue to lock mostly low-income black and brown folks into these, uh, into these school districts that, would, uh, that are based on discriminatory policies? And so there's a compelling case that you can make that you know, we should, there's a progressive case for supporting choice and one that resonates very deeply with our party. And then the last piece is to the extent that there is a direct clash between uh, one special interest versus another special interest in, in this work. You know, I, I, you know, I, I believe, you know, I believe that, you know, most voters and families, all they want are the best quality options for uh, education options for their kids. And as we get report after report that shows us that you know, high-performing charter schools are simply doing a, doing a better job educating kids, more and more of the public will come along and uh, they will be voting with their, uh, they will be uh, voting on education on what they care about most and helping to elect more folks that embrace uh, public choice. Yeah, that, that's really good information. And I'm really glad that you brought up um, the historic redlining uh, that had locked students into districts where their education was dictated by their zip code um, and that just did not provide any kind of equitable access. And and you're right when you're talking about intra-district initiatives. Um, we see some states getting really creative. I went down to Texas several times where some rural school districts had opened up their borders um, for high school kids and created some academies so that they could scale up some career pathway academies and technical pathways uh, for good paying jobs in the region that they couldn't have provided at any kind of scale 
on their own. So in closing, what do our listeners need to do besides visit your website? And um, is there anything that you want them to be thinking about as we go into 2024? Um, certainly. You know, it, education is, uh, is, is, very, is very interesting in the sense that if you ask voters you know, how important education is, everyone agrees that education is at the very top in terms of importance. But then if you look at how people actually vote, so they'll vote on the economy, they'll vote perhaps on social cultural issues, they'll vote on a slew of issues uh, before, before education. And I urge everyone, everyone listening to just remember that you know, one of the greatest anxieties that we know people in the United States have today is this idea that, you know, the next generation that our kids will not have a better quality of life than we have had. And when you ask folks, you know, what, you know, what to you is most important to ensure that your children have a better quality of life, right at the very top, they'll say education and the quality of and the quality of our schools. And so I ask everyone to you know, please keep in mind that there is an absolute crisis in education. Uh, we need to address it with urgency. And it begins with everyone expressing their will at the ballot box. Uh, please do indeed vote education and ensure that our elected representatives are leading on this issue, because uh, in my opinion, it's the most important issue in our society today. And uh, I would hope that they act with the level of urgency that the crisis requires. I think that's right. And you know, if you don't have education, you don't have anything. <laughs> um, and as a country, we should want the best educated, healthiest people from coast to coast because it, it's a national security issue. It's an economic issue. It's a moral issue. It's a cultural issue. It's an international comp competition issue. And our schools just are not where uh, they need to be for what's coming in the job market in the next you know, couple of generations, it's going to be tremendously changed. And I'm concerned that we are not, you know, kids who are in second grade in 10 years, they're gonna be graduating from high school. Are they gonna be graduating ready for what the world looks like in 10 years? I, I worry about that. That's what keeps me up at night. And I think that increasing school choice and competition is, one answer to addressing the education crisis. So I hope that folks will will take your uh, take your advice. And I'd like to just also mention we've talked about 2024 and being sure to vote education, but there are elections right around the corner on November 7th in many places in this country. And in some of them, like for example, Denver is one, um, there's some really important school board elections uh, happening. So check where you are locally. And if there are school board elections, take a minute to educate yourself and um, get to the ballot box. Jorge, before we close, I wanna give you um, an opportunity to um, tell folks where to find your website so that they can learn more and also where they can see the menu of uh, choice options that you are um, detailing for the public. Great, yeah, you can learn more about my organization, Democrats for Education Reform, uh, reform at defer.org, that's D-F-E-R.org. And our affiliate uh, organizations are also on there, and you can follow the links. Uh, please uh, follow us on uh, on social media as well. And uh, thank you for having me on here today. 
It was an absolute pleasure and I wish you all the best and I hope you uh, and your staff keep their energy up. It's going to be a, a wild year in front of us and um, we're counting on you to help make a difference. So thanks for joining us. Much appreciated. And that wraps up this episode of Radically Pragmatic. We will put some notes uh, in with links to those websites that Jorge mentioned. And of course, you can find my project under the Reinventing America's Schools tab on Progressive Policy Institute website. And we've got a lot of good content on there, a lot of research projects we've done and looking at various school models. So uh, check us out and we'll see you next time on Radically Pragmatic. Thanks for listening. Want to learn more about the Progressive Policy Institute? Follow us on Twitter at PPI and on Facebook at Progressive Policy Institute, or go to our website at progressivepolicy.org. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen and check back for new episodes. We'll talk with you soon.